Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you today? Doing well, Sean. Always in a better mood when my red legs are playing well, and they really are. They're playing great. I was up there yesterday, so that's why we didn't record uh, yesterday afternoon. But a few things to talk about today, Sean. We're back at it. Going to have, what, two episodes today? That's the plan. That is the plan. plan, And probably we'll get that confirmed right now because I see little text bubbles replying to me. Uh, So Kentucky did land a football commitment this morning, Derek, from Jackson Smith, uh, kicker and punter in the class of 2022. So another addition to this class that's already shaping up to be another good one. Uh, What do you think about that news this morning? Well, he's the kind of guy, you know, anytime you get a special teams commit, you you know, I don't think they're really someone who's discussed a lot when it comes to signing day, but these are guys who can win you games or lose you games, <laughs> honestly. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the thing about college football recruiting is Kentucky is typically not going to put more than one kicker on a scholarship, you know, per every few years. So it's really important to hit on the kicker when you do choose it. And going by Jackson's thing, you know, he's not rated by 24-7, but that's not unusual for 24-7 rivals, places like that, to be a little slow updating special teams players, but I saw on some of these kicking websites, he's rated as the number one kicker in the country. So he is a guy I've actually, uh, and I might even mention this to him on the, uh, well, I'll just save it. I will ask him now I'm thinking about it. Basically what I'm trying to say is he's someone who's been on my radar uh, since he was in middle school because he hit the 50-something yard field goal against Corbin. But I think more than anything, Sean, this is a, you know, he's a fifth commitment, but what Kentucky has coming down, in the next yeah. 10 days or so, I think you will hear a lot about UK, even on a national scale, in recruiting here pretty soon. Yeah, and he's another in-state commitment, which keeps that you know flowing along here from the last couple of weeks. But what you're hinting at, Derek, is you're about to go into a period here to where Kentucky football is going to wrap up the spring practice. There's not going to be a spring game to where fans can watch it and you know national media can watch it, but Kentucky is going to get a lot of buzz on that national level because of the guys that they're targeting and the the recruitments that are coming down to the very end that they're in really good spots for. Yeah, and the biggest name out of all those guys is Keontae Goodwin out of Charlestown, Indiana, which is – I've never been there, but apparently just right across the river from Louisville. So he's a kid who grew up in Louisville. Actually, the very first offer in-state might have been the whole cycle, but definitely in-state at the time for the 2022 class. So this is someone who was a mega recruit as a middle schooler. Um, had a lot of offers. I think even Alabama might have offered him back then, certainly re-offered him or whatever you want to call it, because he's a kid who lost a lot of weight, got in really good shape. And the last time Steve Wolfong saw him last, uh, sometime last year is when he really shot up the rankings. And as of now, Sean, I think he's trending. He might be at 100% now in the crystal ball projections, and he got the one from Steve Wolfong, which to me, I mean, for what it's worth, I think it's almost always. I'm not saying he's got a 100% hit rate, but if Wolfong puts in a crystal ball for a kid, yeah. uh, he generally has a very good idea of, of where they're going, uh, which actually kind of brings me to our next point, which is pretty interesting. The day before Goodwin commits, so Goodwin's announcing on April 17th, uh, not this Saturday, but the next they're uh, a pair, of, a set of twins, mm-hmm. Keaton Wade and Destin Wade, from Spring Hill, Tennessee, are announcing April 16th, so just the day before Keontae. 
If you go off the crystal ball predictions on our site 24-7, he has two predictions in for Tennessee, the home state school. Uh, my understanding is on rivals, it's 100% to UK. So you have kind of varying opinions there. I don't know if that one is – obviously there's not a consensus being formed like there is for Goodwin to Kentucky. Um, but, you know, I know there's some pretty strong feelings on the UK side that, that those two kids are going to pick Kentucky. And just use this for example, Sean. If Goodwin commits – and I'm going to save a lot of what I have to say about Goodwin for when it actually happens. But going off the ratings, he'd be number three all time in the internet era passing Justin Rogers. Keaton Wade, who won't even be the headliner of his own class, will move to number 14 all time, which is above guys like Marquand McCall, Jason Hatcher, Michael Drennan, Darius West, some really good players, uh, Josiah Hayes. So these are these are big-time recruits that uh, Kentucky <laughs> is closing in on and uh, are, are – could, uh, with Goodwin, I feel I feel fine saying that here on this podcast. Like, yes, I very much believe he's going to Kentucky. The Wade twins, I've not heard as much on um, to, to feel as good. I've had some conversations about Goodwin, though, with, with Josh Edwards, who covers recruiting for our side, and that's why I feel better um, saying that. But either way, I mean, just adding Goodwin is going to move them. It's a top 50 player. Who knows where he might end up in the rankings. Um, but just a prototypical – left tackle, the number one player on Ohio State's board at left tackle. And the UK is most likely going to win out for him. I mean, that's just a hell of a statement. Yeah, and they're doing this off a season where they actually finished below 500, Derek. <laughs> I mean, they late season buzz with the bowl win and and now the off season and everything, trying to take the offense and moving it forward to another level. Kentucky football is really in a very good spot right now. Well, I think a lot of it is, you know – has to do with when you have staff continuity the way Kentucky has, you know, Vince Merrill has been able to recruit. Well, he's re- he recruited Trevion Longmire since he was a freshman. He's been recruiting Goodwin even longer than that when that kid was in middle school. Been recruiting, I don't know how long UK was on Bingham, probably well over a year. Jeremiah Caldwell, same deal out of Michigan. Plink Sales been recruiting him a long time. Andre Stewart's really the only kid I wasn't that familiar with when he committed, but. I think you just see where the relationships pay off, and Kentucky's got a lot to sell. I'm sure Goodwin's looking at it from the perspective of Darian Kennard's probably going to be a first-round pick in next April's draft, and he can come in and compete for a left tackle spot. I think that's a legitimate sell that Kentucky can have for him. Uh, I know the pitch to Keaton Wade, the four-star outside linebackers, to come in, put the jack spot, be like Josh Allen. You know, you can use that in recruiting a top-ten pick. So they actually have some like real, real-life evidence that like you can come here. You can develop, and you can go be a high draft pick. I just think they have a lot of momentum in that regard, even though last season didn't go quite as well. But when you – it's harsh to say it this way, but when you kind of rid yourself from Eddie Grant, Darren Henshaw, whatever whatever things you want to kind of blame last season, the case being how poor they were on offense, like you get an instant boost by hiring a guy from the NFL. So they're able to ride that out right now. We'll see how it goes this fall. I mean – if it really blows up, then that'd be huge if you could close on guys like Dan Key. But for now, in the spring, before these visits open up, to be able to get some of these kids that they've got committed, I'm sure there'll be a battle to keep a lot of them. But as it is right now, I mean, they're really – I mean, their class is – it's trending to be the best they've ever had. Yeah, and, and you know, that's saying something, given the recent success that Mark Stoops and the staff has had on the recruiting trail and 
this helps them possibly take that step that they've been talking about a little bit further in the SEC East, Eric. They're putting themselves in a position to to be in the conversation for it. Yeah, I mean, getting kids like Goodwin, that's – and, again, like I said, we'll talk mostly about him when he does commit on the 17th. But you're talking about adding a guy like him after adding Jagger Burton last year. You've already got Grant and Bingham committed. You look over in the defense, if they were to, to land Keaton Wade at Jack, well, that's a, a top 15 all-time commit you've had at outside linebacker. Fresh off signing Trevin Wallace, who was number 35 in the country this year at inside linebacker. So, like, you're getting the kind of talent that you need. Um, and then you always look at Kentucky's development work that they've done with some three-star guys, Josh Allen, Jamin Davis, who can even throw in there now. You saw the Benny Snell example. Like, they have a lot to sell. I mean, I'm not I'm not stunned um, with some of these things they're able to do because I really do think they have a good product to sell. And you think about some of the teams they're recruiting against. Uh, for the Wade Twins, I believe this final list is Tennessee, Kentucky, Louisville, and Virginia. And Louisville and Tennessee don't have commitments yet. Tennessee's fresh off of, uh, I guess you could say, a recruiting scandal. They got a new head coach, so those relationships probably haven't been formed for very long. Louisville, it just seems like there's some some not just not too not too much momentum. I know they they're taking a smaller class this year. I believe I read uh, or was told that they're only taking ten kids, so they're probably being pretty selective. But you had the whole Satterfield, did he want to leave? Like, I think that's a little shaky, the ground over there. And the Virginia uh, was just an orange bowl a few years ago. And obviously you got a great academic institution there that you could go to if you're those kids. Um, but I just think Kentucky, uh, it's one of those rare times, I would say, in our lifetime that you can look at it and probably make a case that to develop into whatever you want to be as a football player, Kentucky might give you the best case out of all those schools. Yeah, and it's it's certainly going to help them, too, with the NFL draft and everything coming up. You're going to get more positive energy and momentum around the program, Derek. Kentucky football is in a spot where when we were kids, I don't think that we ever would have thought that Kentucky football would get to the point that it is right now. Now, how far can this can this coaching staff and Mark Stoops take it? Still, you know, yet to it's undetermined. Well, it's yet to be seen. We, we have no idea, but I'm certainly not going to cap it because I never thought that it would get to this point, honestly. Well, I don't want to upset any, you know, strong Terry Wilson defenders, but they basically got the 10 wins in 2018 without having a good quarter. Well, I'm not even going to go down this rabbit hole. We all agree Kentucky football, the weak point of the Mark Stoops era to this point has, has been the offense, probably specifically quarterback. Yeah. And, what I'm trying to say is if you get a if you get a, a true talent like you have at some other positions, some generational type talents, if you can just get that at quarterback, then yeah, I wouldn't put a ceiling on it. But until you get that kind of quarterback, I think I think, you know, you probably can put a cap on it. You I think can. they can probably get to nine wins doing I mean, doing the same things they did in twenty eighteen. You know, you can play really good defense, catch some breaks. Um, but to truly get to that level where you can feel like you have a chance to go down to Athens and beat Georgia. Still a ways to go probably, but having a quarterback is one of the quickest ways to do it. And I always use Louisville as an example. I mean, I feel like a lot of those Louisville teams in the mid-2000s that Lamar Jackson was on, I mean, he cared. I mean, obviously you get a talent like that, it's a Heisman Trophy winner. I'm not saying UK has to go out and land a Heisman Trophy winner or a quarterback to have a chance to win big. Um, but that can cover up a lot of other issues that you have. And Kentucky's not really had that type of quarterback to cover up its other issues. And yet UK has still been to, what is it now, five straight bowls? Uh, one ten games, you know, they've up until this past year have consistently been having winning records. Um, you you land on the top of quarterback that you need, 
and I'm with you. I wouldn't put a cap on it at that point. No. But that, that'll be something we'll talk a whole lot about this fall leading up to football season. Yeah. But as it is right now with this class, I mean, it's things are going well. They are. And football recruiting will dominate a lot of this show over the next week or so. Like it will mix in with – could be a lot of news coming, Derek, if when we're talking about the basketball front and that roster and then just talking about all the stuff coming up with U.K. football recruiting, there's not going to be a lack of content over the next few weeks on this show. But let's go ahead and let's transition to the basketball side. And we are going to have an interview with Jackson Smith, too, so you'll be getting another episode uh, later on today. So if you listen to this one first, be sure to find that one as well. But, Derek, something interesting came out this morning. It Some mock drafts for Kentucky basketballs, guys that have declared for the draft, such as Terrence Clark, B.J. Boston, Isaiah Jackson, I've looked and I've, I see ESPN's list and Isaiah Jackson at number 11, BJ Boston, I think is at 35 for Boston and undrafted for Terrence Clark. Is that, is that correct? That's right on ESPN. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And you have the other, what was, what was the other list that come out today? Yeah. Sports Illustrated came out today. Um, scrolling through it right now. I believe they have Jackson at 21. I typed it in. Let me see. Yeah. Isaiah Jackson is at 21, so 10 spots off. <laughs> he's looking for a lottery guarantee. If you go off ESPN, he's got it. If you go off SI, you don't. But they haven't gone to the Knicks. Obviously, he did, wasn't coached by Kenny Payne at Kentucky, but you have that connection there. Um, and then for the other guys, B.J. Boston is at number 33, also to the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Terrence Clark, the only other U.K. player in this list. So he did actually make this one. He didn't make the other one, like you said. But this one has about 54. So just sneaking in at the late second round. Um, I guess, Sean, the one guy I want to talk about, just because obviously Boston and Clark aren't going to be here under any circumstance next year, whereas Jackson has left the door open. And it's not that I think, obviously, Jackson's not going to base his NBA decision based off of what Sports Illustrated's draft writer had him as or ESPNs, but there does seem to be a varying range. And I'm sure these people who do these mock drafts are talking to front office personnel with these teams. How, how much right now is it just talk, or do you think all of his stuff is going to come down to whenever he actually gets to work out and teams can see him? I think that's the big thing with him because he's a guy that if he does get to work out, I think would really impress and might even solidify his spot in getting a guaranteed pick. Like somebody saying, yes, we will take you with this pick. Um, but just the difference in the list, like just with him at 11 and then the other at 21, that's a gap. I mean, that's a big, that's a big time difference in money when you're talking lottery, yep. uh, and then 21, I mean, just cause he's at 21, does he go lower than 21? I don't know. But when you look at where BJ Boston is on both of those, I mean, it's what, two spots off for him. So that's mm-hmm. consistent. Terrence yeah. Clark, undrafted, 54 on another. It's pretty consistent. Um, Jackson would definitely be a first-round pick, in my opinion. But, Derek, we've we've also, you know, been told through, you know, Kyle's story and stuff that they're trying to pitch him on being a top-five pick, not just a lottery pick. Like, top-five potential, if he does return, he has a tough decision to make. I said that. In January, when we were, I, I hadn't 
completely closed the door on him not coming back to Kentucky until I think February is when I finally was like, I think after the Tennessee game, I was like, okay, that's it. I don't think he's coming back. But then you get all the offseason stuff and uh, the possibility of, you know, him possibly doing what PJ did and talking to PJ's dad. I don't know what to make of it. I, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, no, nah, no chance. But now I'm starting to – I don't want to say that I'm buying into sophomore Isaiah Jackson, but just looking at it, I think he has a lot to gain if he did return. He definitely has a tough choice. Um, His is the toughest, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Honestly, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, obviously with BJ and Terrence, like they were just – they were leaving no matter what. Yeah. Whereas, you know – I think if he – I still think if you get that guaranteed lottery, you should go. I mean, if he's – if you fall off the ESPN when it goes to 11, is coming back to go potentially six spots higher. Like, I don't think that's a lock. He's even a top five pick next year. Like, I know that's the U.K. selling point. Uh, if he has a good enough year, perhaps he would actually end up there. But I don't know how likely that is. Um, but I, I do – I still think four years from now, whenever, wherever he is, I think how he is as a player, I think he's got – just untapped potential, really. It's just huge potential where he could end up. Um, for UK, though, it, it does seem like we're going to be, uh, or I mean, I just think you'll be, everybody's going to be waiting <laughs> a long time. If you have until July, it's kind of the weird thing about this. Um, you know, it's just April 8th and it's July 7th, right? That's when they have to decide. Yeah. That's the final day. I mean, you're talking three months still to, to know how it is, and I'm wondering for Cal's sake if he wants to wait and see if he could even want to use another big man. So yeah. it's all very interesting. Uh, I think Isaiah will know pretty quickly whenever he does get in front of NFL – or sorry, NBA personnel where he kind of stands. So, And well, looking at that too, with, with these three, Isaiah Jackson, whether he goes at number 11 or number 21 – it doesn't irritate Kentucky fans at all or rub them the wrong way because that you can understand his decision. B.J. Boston, though, second round. Terrence Clark, possibly undrafted. That just, that just shows you the ones that really frustrate the fans because those, like Jackson was the best of the three, obviously this season at UK, and is the one that is considering not leaving. I, I, I just can't get away, I just can't get away from that. Like I mean, we've seen that with every single draft at UK, but I think it's magnified more to me just looking at it this year because here we've you know Kyle's story last week with the athletic and the comments and the mindset with you know Jackson didn't come to Kentucky thinking he was a one and done, but he worked his way in a position where he can be. But yet you have two who came in and was pretty much gone the moment they unpacked their bags on campus. I don't think that. Uh... I just I don't see that happening with this class though, I guess. I'm trying to say. Like I think that's probably a positive that like maybe Damian Collins, but you're also talking about a kid who was gonna be going to Texas or Oklahoma before Jay Lucas got hired. So maybe he had that one and done mentality no matter where he went, but it's not as prevalent obviously at those schools, but that's what you would do. So even with him, I think I think you might see a, a little bit more patient kid who will recognize and again, this time I mean, he might show up next year and just be completely dominant, and it'd be no question that he needs to go. Um, I don't see that being the case for Nolan Hickman or Bryce Hopkins, though. So at least in that regard, you're seeing a little different. Maybe, maybe you're getting to a point with 
you know, I don't know how Scott Clark will view it. I, I, could, I guess I could see him being someone who has one and done on his mind. But, no, I totally agree with you, and we've talked about that. I mean, it's the, the whole B.J. Boston experience and Terrence Clark. Again, I know Clark was hurt, probably even more so with him, that people might get frustrated because he has – what what did he show this year? I mean, he, he's basically going to get drafted off his high school rep, right? Yeah, he Nothing is. that he did at Kentucky is going to help him get drafted. And I think he will get drafted. I think someone second round late will take him. I could see it. I mean, I could just see someone seeing a top ten recruit was at Kentucky in a, although it was the worst year they've had in a hundred years, still a program that guys typically play pretty well when they leave UK. So I, I could see it, and I mean, if you're drafting him fifty fourth overall, it's where he was, I think, on SI. Like, there's not, it's not really a gamble at all. I mean, I don't know if any team takes a guy that late and expects them to be a ten year contributor to their franchise, you know. So I could see someone doing that for sure. Does that show you, though, that playing does help, even if you play and you struggle? Because B.J. Boston struggled mightily for 80 to 85% of the season, and he's 20, 30 spots ahead of Terrence. Terrence actually played well against Georgia Tech, didn't play many games, and he is possibly undrafted late second round. I think so. Um what I also don't know, I mean, are the other things that teams have to take into account, character, things like that, that they'll figure out when they go through the draft process. or, or Injuries. Injuries, yeah. I mean, if what obviously he was back playing for Kentucky by the end of the year. So I don't know what Terrence has been doing since that last game against Mississippi State, but if he had more time to heal, then he might come out of his, you know, pro day or whatever and, and look a little bit better than what he did during the season. But we know he I got a feeling as we sit here – yeah, he's not been out there. I got a feeling though as we talk about this, Sean. I just gonna guess most of our listeners really don't care where BJ Boston and Terrence Clark end up in the draft board. I don't think they do. I really don't. But Isaiah Jackson will be a story that we'll follow all through the spring, obviously, and uh draft boards and things will change leading up to that. We're still such a long ways away, Derek, from any of these guys hearing their name called. I mean, it's still months away until the NBA draft. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Let's transition to, to one more topic. It was something that I sent you before we started recording. And it's not something that, like, I'm not mad about it. Jay Billis put out his top 10 coaches in his lifetime in college basketball. And he probably should have specified that it's men's basketball because if you're making a list, Gino Oriyama has to be on it. Pat Summit has to be on it. If you're talking top 10 college basketball coaches, but it was just men's basketball only. Derek, I don't know. Did you write those down any chance? I know number one, of course, was John Wooden. Uh, who was it to? Do you remember? Yeah, Coach K. Oh, yeah, Coach K. Um, but some of the names, like Jim Calhoun was on there, Tom I Izzo. Izzo was seventh, if I'm not mistaken. I think Calhoun was like sixth. This is, I think the controversial one, and, again, these lists are really tough. I've, I've made these sub- subjective type lists that 
because like Jay Bills didn't put any criteria outside of these are who I think are the ten best since I've been alive. So like he's not going off of any kind of guidelines or anything as to how he selected this. But at number ten, he had marked few. I would assume that's where a lot of people are questioning it, right? That's what I would think. Because yeah, he was the only guy on there I think who, or number nine was Clarence Gaines. Was that his name? Yes. And, and I don't. And I think John Thompson, or no, it was Izzo at at eight. And then John Thompson at six, I think. And then it was Jim Calhoun, Roy Williams, Dean Smith, Bobby Knight at three, and then Coach K, and then John Wooden. So the only one really is Mark Few, right? Like that's the only one that can really spark controversy. That's the only one that I actually looked at and was like, okay, that one's – that one I, I just – I'm not ready to put few on those lists. And and it should be noted that the reason Adolf Rupp is not on that list is because Jay did the coaches in his lifetime. Yeah, so Jay's obviously Yeah, so obviously uh Rupp wasn't on there, but just some names that I come up with this morning that I personally would have put on that list ahead of Mark Few. Now the others I don't have a problem with the other ones. But you're leaving out Denny Crum, two national championships at Louisville, I think five final fours if I'm not mistaken, Jay Wright, multi-time national champion, Billy Donovan, a two-time national champion, four Final Fours, uh, Lute Olsen won a championship, multiple Final Fours, Rick Pitino. I mean, technically he won two, only gets credit for one, multiple Final Fours at three different schools, John Calipari, Bill Self, Jim Beheim. Those were some names that I thought deserved to be on there ahead of Mark Few. Now, had Mark Few won the game the other night, then I think you – might have had an argument there, but when it, he mentioned the 30 win seasons, I can't give Gonzaga and Mark Few credit for that, Derek, because they don't they get such a cakewalk when it comes to conference play every single year that I'm not ready to put him on the list of top 10 coaches. He definitely wouldn't be in my top 10. Um, great coach, though, but I'm not ready to do that yet. He's a great coach, and I, he's going to win one. Gonzaga's eventually going to win a national title, I think. I'd be surprised if they don't. I mean, just they're going to have high seeds every year. Eventually, you're going to break through. They were very close this year, pretty close years ago. Keep getting there, and you're going to, you're going to have a chance. I mean, some of it, too, I think some of these guys on that list had to do with just consistency because Tom Izzo's, he's won, what, one national title, right? And it was quite a long time ago at this point, right? Well, like 2000? Yeah. Yeah, so it's been <laughs> – 21 years, but he's made eight Final Fours, uh, seven or eight. I think it was eight. So that that's impressive. That, uh, to me, that's the main goal you're trying to do. You're trying to get to the Final Four and do that eight times, and I think he's been there 25 years, something like that, 24. Yeah. That's a good run. I don't I don't blame Jay for having him on there, but, like, when he talked about the peaks that some of these other coaches have hit, John Calipari's coached three teams that have won 38 games. No other, no other coach has even done that once, right? I don't think any other schools won 38. Uh, Memphis won 38. Of course, it's the vacated season. But, like, he's had two teams at Kentucky that won 38 games. Yeah. Which is a huge mark. Like you said, like Rick Pitino, because that title is vacated, I'm sure it's what's keeping him off and just the other stuff that he had. That would be my guess because you're talking about a guy who took Providence to a Final Four, who took Kentucky to a Final Four, Louisville to a Final Four. He took Boston to the NCAA tournament. He took Iona to the NCAA tournament in his first year. Like, I just think, like, Rick Pitino is a top-ten coach in Jay Bills' lifetime. 
There might have been some reasons why he didn't put him on there. But as a pure college basketball coach, if your life was on the line, Sean, and you had to pick one college basketball coach, like I think Patino would be pretty damn high on my list and be like, all right, I got to win one game. <laughs> uh, because he's just a great coach. And however he is as a person, like clearly suspect in that regard, I would say. Um, but I mean, some of those guys are obvious. John Wooden, the Coach K, Roy Williams, Dean Smith. I mean, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, I, Mark Few is, is – that one's just strange to me. It is. And he's been to two Final Fours. I think 17 was the first one and then this past season. That, that's great. But when he gets that title, that's when – I think that's how you kind of measure when you bring out these lists is how many titles did they have and how many Final Four appearances did they have. Because there's coaches that won national championships and it was their only trip they ever went to the Final Four. And I give you credit. I mean, like, Gonzaga's a small school. What expectations do they have before him? Like, what – I mean, obviously he's made them what they are. I give a lot of credit to that. But, like, Providence is not a big school. Patino took them to a Final Four. Cal took UMass to a Final Four, which I know, again, vacated, whatever. Those things all happened. Um, like, that's impressive. Uh, Jay Rye, I mean, I don't know how you with the straight face have a guy who won two titles at Villanova and don't put him – Well. <laughs> Don't put him over Mark Few. That's, if that was really his choice, that's why he said, right? He said he chose Few over and, Jay Wright. And that confuses me a little too, though. Even though he's, yes, he's won two, but to say that it come down to Wright and Few, that one actually confused me a little more too because, like, Jay Wright, yes, he's won two titles, been to three Final Fours, but how many early tournament exits did Jay Wright have before he finally broke through and got two titles? I mean, yeah. And, and a lot, and that used to be kind of their thing was they would be a high seed and get knocked out first weekend. But the fact that they, the fact that he's won two though should have him over few if that's who it came down to comparing for that final spot at number ten. But I just got so caught up in the fact that Patino wasn't mentioned, uh, Jim Beheim wasn't mentioned, Denny Crum multiple titles, multiple Final Fours. Uh, how much do you think is recency bias though with Mark Few and kind of what they've done? in recent years and what they're doing now, the recruits they're getting and the things that they're doing. But when you look at Mark Few's resume and just his overall record, I don't want to discredit what he's done at Gonzaga, Derek, but once you get them to a certain point, you're beating up on a really not, I don't want to say a really bad conference because there are teams there, but if they don't win that conference every year, you'd be very surprised, right? Yeah, I mean, no one else is recruiting near a level of them. And, again, give them credit for building the school to that point. I mean, every other school had the same opportunities, you know, uh, to do what he's done. I mean, again, it it's just, yeah. And I hate to sound like that because I, I get feel a lot of credit. I think he's definitely one of the – for our lifetime for sure. How about How about we do our top five, Sean, of our lifetime? Top five of our lifetime. I like that. You were you were born in uh, I don't know if you want to say. I'll just say I'm a mid nineties. <laughs> I'm not that old, Derek. <laughs> I'm a mid nineties. I was born ninety four. So I'll probably leave someone off here, but like Coach K's got to be number one, right? Yeah, ninety was me. So Coach K would be number one. So in, in your life. lifetime, Coach K has won ninety one, ninety two. Then they win like oh one. I think it, they've won five in your lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So. so he's won all five titles in my lifetime. 
Uh, I would put K at number one. Now, obviously, Dean Smith coached in my lifetime, but the bulk of his career wasn't. Yeah. I would put Roy Williams number two. Over Calhoun? Mm, yeah. Just because of him doing it at two Blue Bloods. I mean, two two jobs like Kansas and North Carolina. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't win a title at Kansas, but he got to the Final Four and then left and won three at Carolina. I'd have Calhoun number three. See, I actually like Patino and Cal both over Izzo in a list like this. Yeah. I mean, I give, I give a lot of credit to – I don't know. I just think – I mean, he's great, but one title. I mean, Cal's won one. Patino won two. I give Cal a lot of credit for taking – like, he took two schools that were on Memphis that had some good runs in the past. Still not someone you would think of. I mean, look at Memphis since he's been gone, you know. Uh so who's your top three? I would agree with you in the top two. I'd say Kay and Roy, and then I would probably go Calhoun three. I'm going Donovan four. Yeah, I kind of forgot about him. Well, actually, I'll go put what, – What we're illustrating right here, this is a tough thing. This to is do. hard. Yeah. It's a tough thing, and I, that's why I'm not trying to crush Jay Billis for it because it's Cal so, was going to Cal was going to be fifth, but I don't think I'm going to have him in my top five. I think I would put Patino four and then I'd go Donovan five, and then Cal right there behind him. And what you see, too, like those guys we just mentioned, Kay's been at Duke forever. If you did want to – Calhoun was at UConn forever. Izzo's been at Michigan State forever. Like a lot of these guys, Donovan – Donovan got to Florida, what, 96? Stayed almost 20 years, right, at Florida? Four Final Fours, two two back-to-back championships. Back-to-back, that's tough to be. I mean, that's probably not going to happen – that's probably not going to happen again. And not, not with the same uh, team anyway, like what they had, the same core. I mean, Izzo's obviously getting left out, but I just look at Cal and taking UMass to a Final Four, taking Memphis to – and now had John Calipari completed that win against Kansas in 2008, he probably would have been much higher on my list because yeah. then you'd have had a title at two different schools and that would have been vacated. But uh, – and I'm giving Patino the second title. There, that's why I bumped him up because even though it's not on the record, it and happens. it's it's there's no banner, he he still led a team to a title, so I'm going to give him credit for that one. And I, I'd have Cal right there, even though Billy won two, I, I still think that I'd have Cal right there on that same level just because of the final fours that he's been to, the the starting all over with rosters and and getting to final fours. It is hard to do, and talk about these lists and stuff and, and not leave someone out. I mean, Jim, Jim Beheim has won one title, been there 40 plus years, three, uh, how many final fours? I know he's played in three title games. I think it may be six or seven final fours for, for Beheim. Oh yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't really consider Beheim on my, I think he's just a bitter old man. So I don't even, I should say that I asked Sean and we came up with this spur of the moment, but I think this will be something for our listeners. We'd like to hear from you. If you guys have more time to actually sit and think about it, let us know the time frame you're working with. And I'll be very curious to hear some, some opinions on. Well, I was working with 1990 till today was my time frame. 
Yeah, so I'd like to hear just from from our listeners whatever their time frame is yeah. to see some of the different names. I'm probably forgetting somebody just sitting here thinking about it, but it is hard to pick. Just you know, and you got to think about school expectations. Like Florida has never been considered a basketball school, and what Donovan did there was was incredible. Had he got, I mean, who knows if he'd have been at a school like UK or North Carolina? Who knows what he could have done? Some people um, might include Jerry Tarkanian. In their yeah. in their list, I mean, won a title, four Final Fours. Um, there's there's a lot of coaches that you could include. Like I said, I, I wasn't, you know, Dean Smith. It was the tail end of his career during my lifetime, and some others. But just those coaches, that's who I would have it at. Now, what what's this list look like twenty years from now, Derek? We're still doing Kentucky Daily. <laughs> I I mean, I think K. Someone's have to go on a hell of a run on CK. Yeah. Like, I mean, from the very top, uh, I could see Williams getting bumped down, but I mean, as much as we just talked about him, like, few might be positioned the best. I mean, I know he's not out of the way he's recruiting right now. Like, I just think it's just a matter of time. I know they didn't win it this year. Um, do you give any thought at all to Scott Drew? Maybe not top five. I mean, like, if you. I wonder. I just wonder where he falls now because he's like a national media darling now after winning the title for what he inherited. Obviously, it took a very long time, but from where they were, I mean, what you don't really expect anything out of Baylor sports, and then they have a great title run. I mean, it was impressive. So I just kind of wonder, you know, if he pulls off another one here at some point, like it's moving into pretty elite territory. And then for a guy that I think for much of our lifetime, I wouldn't have had near the top of my college basketball coaching power rankings. Yeah, uh, that's very interesting because him winning the title, he's he's a likable guy. And when you go back and you listen to his interview of his press conference when he got hired at Baylor and they played that clip the other night, that how many people can sit there and say that and then get the opportunity to do it 18 years later? Like 18 years yeah. later, the title come. Who who has the type of patience to stick with a coach 18 years in today's world? That hasn't won a title. Stay that long, yeah. Yeah, or or stay that long exactly, and probably put himself in a position now. There, that was a name I mentioned to you the other day, just in text. I was like, he doesn't get considered for jobs, and now you kind of think that a big job comes open at some point. Maybe they do consider him, but he, I don't think he's leaving Baylor now that he's won a title. No, I don't think so. An under the radar guy, under the radar. I mean, he he wouldn't be like top five or anything, but like I wonder if some people, if you go far enough, like Long Kruger, the the career he had, he never won a title, so that obviously goes against him, but took Florida to Final Four, took uh, obviously Oklahoma to the 2016 Final Four. Just a guy who was in the tournament, like just a lot of years. I don't know the exact number, but he it was a good, a, a great, really a great coaching career for someone who, you ask that question 20 years from now, like you probably don't hear a whole lot of people talking about Long Kruger just because he didn't have that dominant team or anything, but someone whose career, I mean, that's there's a lot to be proud of with the kind of career he had. There is, and, and I am I was sitting here thinking, you know, I, I said Kay, Roy, Calhoun, Patino, and then I had Donovan, Cal there at five. Like I, I paired them together, uh, just went with the, the amount of, Final Fours and programs that Cal's been at, then obviously winning back-to-back titles for Billy Donovan, I think, puts him there. And then four Final Fours, one in 2000, and then the back-to-back 
I think 06, 07, and then got to another one in 14, had a chance to win another title. Thinking about who I would go after if we were doing a top 10 list, obviously Bill Self would be in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if it come to my 10 in my lifetime, I probably would include Mark Few in my 10. If we're talking 90 till now, because I do think that Few is one of the 10 best in my lifetime, but just in Jay's lifetime, that was the part that just threw me off. Well, I'd have Jay Wright in there too, obviously, somewhere right. I'd have him ahead of Bill Self, just behind Cal, or somewhere right through there with Cal. A lot of old guys too, Sean, we're talking yeah. about. So it makes you wonder the, well, I'll say old, just guys who have been, most of these guys are on the tail end of their career, I, I would say, that we just talked about. Obviously, Calhoun's already gone, already retired. I mean, Williams just retired. Kay's still there for now, I and mean, we'll see how much longer he has. Donovan's no longer a college coach. So, yeah, like you kind of wonder this next generation who's going to emerge. Maybe it is someone like Scott Drew, you know, who who is considered the best of the best. Chris Beard maybe with what he's doing at Texas. I know he just got started there, but he's off to a good start with the staff that he's hired. You would think they have all the resources resources imaginable at Texas. That would be something fun to follow, you know, a decade from now. When we kind of examine Williams at Maryland was another one. Coached at Ohio State, won a championship at Maryland. That was another name in my lifetime uh, that was a good coach. I'm just interested now to hear what our listeners have to say because, I mean, obviously I was making that list out and I was like, crap, I forgot Jay Wright. You know, he's won two titles. Um, But you also have to look at it and you can't just go if they have one title because Kevin Ollie has a title too. (laughs) So you can't just look at one title. I, I look at titles, final fours. And then longevity too. Like how how sustained was your success? Like did you go to was it like a short run, or did you have a final four here, a final four, two final fours here in this window, another final four? Because that that's what I look at. If you can do it over the length of a career, that stands out to me because that means that you've kind of adapted and everything to the game and to the changes of the game, and you've had success regardless of what the climate is in the sport you're coaching in. For sure, and this is not to carry water for John Calipari, but I was just thinking a lot of these coaches, the title runs that they had, or you talk about sustained success, like he basically only the 2014, the 2013-14 team, that had carryover to the next year with a lot of those guys. But in that stretch of four Final Fours in five years, I mean, you're talking about those first two years. Well, you know, you had, you had Daron Lamb and Terrence Jones, but like what I'm trying to say is you're using a lot of different people, like, you don't have a guy who was on a Final Four team in 2011 as a freshman who is still there in 2014 to help build around. So, I mean, you're basically taking a lot of young guys, new teams, and making those runs to the Final Four. To have a stretch where you go four out of five is – that's like as high – it's the high, highs of the highs, you know. And like that's where Izzo probably I need to give more credit to because he went to three straight in the late 90s, early 2000s. So if I had more time to sit here and really think about it, I think we could have some really great conversations. So, and I, I will I be curious. I think, yeah, I might do that when we open up the mailbag episode tomorrow. I might just list my top ten after Maybe. I've thought about it because Izzo. I think I would have Izzo higher. I would definitely have Izzo ahead of Bill Self. So Izzo would be in my top seven, top well, that's six. Just a weird thing to me about how Cal gets criticized for oh all this talent he's had. He's only had one one title. I mean, Izzo's a great coach. He's got one title. I mean, yep. no one's pounding Izzo for being eight Final Fours and only winning one. You know, I mean, if there's people are, I don't hear from them anyway. 
And so, and Jay Wright winning too. I don't want to entirely eliminate all the early tournament exits, stuff that doesn't happen to John Calipari. You know, John Calipari always goes deep in the NCAA tournament. If Izzo gets to the Elite Eight, you know he's going to get to the Final Four. I, I think you have to take in those things too. Uh, so Izzo would definitely be in my top seven somewhere through there. And then, like I said, few would be on my list, but I think it would be near the bottom. So I'm going to do my list tonight, and then I'll announce it on the beginning of the mailbag episode tomorrow. Derek, maybe you can get a top ten too, and we can just kind of just go through them really quick. We won't discuss them. We'll just give them. And then you all, your our listeners here, send us your list. Tweet us. DM us. Just, uh, they're obviously going to be different. That's the beauty of it. Everybody has a difference of opinion. You'll value things that we didn't value. We'll value things that you didn't value. But as always, this episode is powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butcher's Pub with two locations, one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg. And then the third location will be opening. Josh sent me a text yesterday. Let me see if I can get it. They had a grand opening date set for May 1st is the date they're shooting for. Uh, Just waiting on state to send approval for the third location in London to open up. But you can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. You will be getting a second episode of Kentucky Daily today. I'm not sure which one you'll listen to first, uh, but we will have an episode coming here pretty soon with uh, Kentucky football commit Jackson Smith. So be sure to listen to that one in addition to this one. I'm Sean Smith. He's Derek Terry. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. 